Many people were disillusioned with Hinduism. Many people were disillusioned with Hinduism, especially the caste system. Remember the last lecture we discussed? The caste system and Hinduism. Many people were disillusioned with Hinduism around 500 BC, especially the caste system. And uh, because of this, many different sects S-E-C-T-S arose from Hinduism, many different groups. But the most successful offshoot of Hinduism, the most successful offshoot of Hinduism is Buddhism. Let me repeat that. Buddhism is the most successful offshoot of Hinduism. Now, the Vedas the Vedas, the Hindu scripture of the Vedas, well, the Buddha, Buddhism denies the authority of the Vedas, a good portion of the Hindu scriptures. Buddhism denies the authority of the Vedas. Now we're going to discuss a brief history of Buddhism. A brief history of Buddhism, much of this is probably legend. So there's going to be some truth to it, but there's going to be some legend to it. It's something that is very hard to document, very hard to historically investigate. But the supposed history of the Buddha. Buddhism was founded by Siddhartha Gautama. Siddhartha Gautama. Siddhartha is S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H-A and Gautama is G-A-U-T-A-M-A. -A. Name was later changed to Buddha, the Enlightened One. Buddha, the Enlightened One. So Buddhism was found by Siddhartha Gautama. He was born approximately 560 B.C in Northeast India. Born 560 B.C. in Northeast India. His father was a ruler. Now Buddha married and had a son. But he was confined to the palace. His father did not want him to see and to know suffering. So he was confined to the palace, and life was very pleasurable for him. But one day, he decided to leave the palace and to go and see the outside world. So he was confined to the palace so he would not see the sufferings on the outside, but one day he left to see the outside world. And as he was passing, he saw four sights, four passing sights. First, he saw a decrepit old man, a decrepit old man. There he learned of old age. He saw a decrepit old man, and there he learned of old age. Next, he saw a sick man a sick man. 
And there he learned of sickness. Third, he saw a funeral procession. A funeral procession. And there he learned of death. And fourth, he saw a monk, a Hindu monk, begging for food. He saw a monk begging for food, and there he learned of hunger and of poverty. So when he had left the palace, when he had left his sheltered environment, when he went to the outside world, he learned of old age, sickness, death, hunger, and poverty. Then he returned to the palace, but on one night he left the palace for good. He left his family behind in order to seek enlightenment. So one night he left the palace and his family never to return to seek enlightenment. Buddha means, as I mentioned before, enlightened one, enlightened one. In deep meditation under a fig tree, he attained nirvana. In deep meditation under a fig tree, he reached nirvana. Nirvana is the highest degree of God consciousness. Nirvana is the highest degree of God consciousness, as far as others would explain it. Buddha is questionable that he would explain it in those terms. But Nirvana, we're going to discuss that uh, a little bit later when we talk on Buddhist teachings. But he was enlightened under the tree. He became the enlightened one. Nirvana is as high as you can get is what it amounts to. The truth he learned under the tree, he decided to spread. The truth that he learned under the tree, he decided to spread. He decided to proclaim this truth. He learned the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And we're going to discuss that under Buddhist teachings. He learned the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. We will discuss those under Buddhist teaching. So he learned the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And Buddha died at age 80. Buddha died at age 80. By then, his teachings were already widespread in India. He died at age 80. By then, his teachings were already widespread in India. And well after his death, Buddha was deified by some of his followers. Centuries after his death, Buddha was deified by some of his followers. Unlike Christ, who claimed to be God during his earthly life. Christ during his life claimed to be God, but Buddha, it was centuries before he was deified by some of his followers. Now there's two basic types of Buddhism. There's Theravada, Theravada Buddhism, T-H-E-R, A-V-A-D-A, Theravada Buddhism, which is early Buddhism, 
mostly practiced in India. Early Buddhism mostly practiced in India. And then you have Mahayana Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, M-A-H-A-Y-A-N-A, Mahayana Buddhism, which is later Buddhism, mostly practiced in China and Japan. So Theravada Buddhism, early Buddhism, mostly practiced in India, and Mahayana Buddhism, later Buddhism, mostly practiced in China and Japan. So there's Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, born 560 BC in northern, northeast India. His father was a ruler. Uh, Buddha was married, had a son, but was confined to the palace where he lived a pleasurable life and was not allowed, a sheltered life he lived. He was not allowed to see the sufferings of the world, but one day he left to see the outside world and he learned of old age, sickness, death, hunger, and poverty. So he left the palace and his family to seek enlightenment. One day while meditating under a tree, he reached nirvana. He decided to spread this truth that he had learned, such as the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. But it wasn't until many years later that he was deified by some of his followers. Okay, now let's discuss some of the Buddhist teachings some of the Buddhist teachings. First off, the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths of Buddhism are as follows. Number one, the existence of suffering. Number one, the existence of suffering. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering. The cause of suffering. And the cause of suffering is our desire for pleasures of the senses. The cause of suffering is our desire for the pleasures of the senses. So the first noble truth is the existence of suffering. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering, which is our desire for pleasures of the senses. The third noble truth is that the extinguishing of our craving, the distinguishing, extinguishing, the putting out of our desires will end suffering. So the third noble truth is extinguishing or putting out of our craving or desires will end suffering. And the fourth of the four noble truths is that we extinguish our craving through the eightfold path. The fourth and final of the four noble truths is that we extinguish our craving or desires through the Eightfold Path. So the Four Noble Truths are as follows. Number one, the existence of suffering. Number two, the cause of suffering, which is our desire for pleasures of the senses. 
Number three, the extinguishing of our craving or desires will end suffering. And number four, we extinguish our craving through the Eightfold Path. That's the Four Noble Truths. Now I'd like to discuss the Buddhist teaching of the Eightfold Path. The eight, Eightfold Path. Remember, if we extinguish our desires, according to Buddha, we will end suffering. And so in order to end suffering, we need to extinguish our desires, but the only way to extinguish our desires is through the Eightfold Path. So this Eightfold Path is basically the path to nirvana, the extinguishing of all suffering. The Eightfold Path is as follows. Number one, having the right views. Number one, the right views. The right views are the right beliefs. What are the right views? The right views are the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So number one is the right views. Number two is the right resolve. The right resolve, making the right resolution. The right resolve is to renounce pleasure, to renounce pleasure and to harm no one. Right resolve is to renounce pleasure and to harm no one. Now, in my understanding, Buddha may have renounced pleasure by leaving his wife behind. But I don't believe he could have said that he harmed no one to leave a wife, to leave a wife and a child behind. Right views, number two of the Eightfold Path, right resolve, renounce pleasure and harm no one. Number three is right speech. Number three is right speech. And right speech would be no lies, no slander, or no idle talk. No lies, no slander, and no idle talk. The fourth part to the Eightfold Path to Nirvana is right behavior. Right behavior. Don't kill any creature. Refusing to kill any creature and refusing to have any unlawful sex. Not killing any creature and refusing to have any unlawful sex. So right behavior. The fifth of the Eightfold Path is right occupation. Right occupation which means earning a living that harms no one. Right occupation, earning a living that harms no one. So military people, police officers, uh, would be uh, considered uh, sinful if there was such a word within Buddhism, uh, would be as sinful as mafia hitmen. But right occupation, earn a living that harms no one. The sixth, of the Eightfold Path 
is right effort. Right effort. And right effort is the striving to acquire good qualities and perfections. Right effort is the striving to acquire good qualities and perfections. And then seven is right contemplation. Right contemplation. Right contemplation means to be alert, to be contemplative, and to be free of desire and sorrow. Right contemplation means to be alert, to be contemplative, to be free of desire and sorrow. And then eight, in the eightfold path to nirvana, is right meditation. Right meditation. Buddha has four degrees of meditation after your desires are gone. So your desires are gone and you've got four different degrees of meditation. We don't have time to get uh, any deeper into that. So Buddha's teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the Four Noble Truths are number one, the existence of suffering. Number two, the cause of suffering, our desire for pleasures of the senses. Number three, the extinguishing of our craving or desires will end suffering. And number four, we extinguish our craving through the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is right views, which are the Four Noble Truths, and Eightfold Path. Right resolve, which is the renouncing of pleasure and harming no one. Right speech is not telling lies, not slandering, and no idle talk. Right behavior, not killing any creature, no unlawful sex. Times they won't even kill insects. Uh, right occupation, which is earning a living that harms no one. Right effort is striving to acquire good qualities and perfection. Right contemplation, which is being alert, contemplative, free of desire and sorrow. And then eight is right meditation, which goes beyond that contemplative stage being free of desire. And right meditation goes four degrees of meditation after desires are gone. And then you attain nirvana. What is nirvana? In Buddhist teachings, nirvana is the blowing out, blowing out of the flame of desire. And repeat, nirvana is the blowing out of the flame of desire. It is the state of total peace. total desirelessness. Nirvana is the blowing out of the flame of desire, the state of peace, the state of total desirelessness. It is the final goal of Buddhism. It is the final goal of Buddhism. Whereas the God of the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In Psalm 37, 4, Buddhism promises a cessation of all your desires. Nirvana, the blowing out of the flame of desire, the state of peace, state of total desirelessness, is the final goal of Buddhism, and it cannot be adequately expressed in words. It cannot adequately be expressed in words, according to Buddha. Now, there are five precepts 
that all Buddhists must follow. Five precepts that all Buddhists must, must follow. And they are as follow, as follows. Number one, kill no living thing. Five precepts that all Buddhists must follow. Number one, kill no living thing, not even insects. Five precepts that all Buddhists must follow. Number one, killing no living thing, not even insects. Number two, no stealing. Number two, no stealing. Number three, no committing adultery. Number three, no committing adultery. Number four, no lies. Number, number four, no lies. And number, number five, no drinking or drugs. No drinking or use of drugs. So five precepts that all Buddhists must follow. Number one, kill no living thing, not even insects. Number two, no stealing. Number three, no committing adultery. Number four, no lies. Number five, no drinking or using of drugs. Now, five additional precepts Buddhist monks and nuns must follow. Remember the first one all Buddhists must follow. But this is five additional uh, precepts that Buddhist monks and nuns must follow. Number one is eat moderately. Eat moderately. Eat enough to keep you alive, but no more than that. Eat moderately. Number two, avoid excitement. Avoid excitement. Number three, no wearing adornments or perfume. No wearing adornments or perfume. Number four, no sleeping in luxurious beds. No sleeping in luxurious beds. And number five, accepting no silver or gold. Number five, accepting no silver or gold. Two more Buddhist teachings that we need to discuss is that the universe has evolved it was not created. It always existed. The universe is eternal. It always existed. And it has evolved. It was not created. Which, of course, violates the Big Bang Theory, which teaches that the universe is expanding and that if we go back in time, uh, we reach a point of infinite density where the universe had a beginning where it was created from nothing. Had a beginning. Something outside the universe had to create it. Also, the second law of thermodynamics, which teaches that the amount of usable energy in the universe is running down, which also means that the universe had a beginning at a point in time. So the universe has evolved. It is eternal. It was not created as a teaching of Buddhism. That contradicts the Bible. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it also contradicts uh, modern science. By the way, even philosophically, even in philosophical debate, we can prove that it's impossible to have an actual infinite set uh, of finites. 
For instance, if you started with the number one and you counted by ones and you went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you went on and on infinitely, that would be an infinite set. But if you had a set just with odd numbers, starting with one, one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven, and went on and on, that would also be an infinite set. So they would be equal, they're both infinite. Yet the problem is the odd numbers contain only half of the uh, 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 of the numbers that are in uh, the other infinite set. So they would have to be both equal and non-equal at the same time and in the same way, which would violate the law of non-contradiction. What this teaches us is, it is you, you result in absurdities and violations of the law of non-contradiction when you try to imagine an actual infinite set of finites. Now the universe has, it has time in it. You have events, past events, present events, and future events. And if there was an infinite, if the universe was eternal, it would have to have an infinite set of finite events in time. But in order to do that, we see that that's an impossibility. Uh, you would run smack into the law of non-contradiction. So the universe, both philosophically and scientifically, had to have a beginning at a point in time. And then, uh, final te Buddhist teaching that I'd like to mention is that unsatisfied desire, unsatisfied desire is the cause of rebirth. In other words, reincarnation. The reason why when a person dies, according to Buddha, and then he, you end up being, your soul becomes reincarnated in another body, it's because of unsatisfied desire. And so Buddha says, if you get rid of your desires, then you'll reach nirvana, the blowing out of the flame, you'll no longer have desires, and you'll no longer need to be reincarnated. Now Buddha actually was very agnostic uh, against, uh, about God. He really didn't want to answer the question or discuss whether there was a God or not. He just left that open-ended. Now I'd like to discuss very briefly two popular forms of Buddhism. Two po uh, popular forms of Buddhism. We already discussed Theravada Buddhism, early Buddhism, mostly in India, and Mahayana Buddhism, later Buddhism, mostly in China and Japan. But now two popular forms of Buddhism that are active today one is Nichiren or Nichiren Shashu Buddhism. It might even be pronounced Nichiren Shashu Buddhism. N I C H I R E N S H O S H U. Nichiren Shashu Buddhism, which is a Japanese mystical sect. It's a Japanese mystical sect that's been revived in the past 50 years or so. Nichiren Shashu Buddhism, Japanese mystical sect revived in the past 50 years or so. The founder was a Japanese reformer named Nichiren Shashu. He founded it in the 
13th century A.D., but it's just been revived in the past 50 years. Founded it in the 13th century A.D. And the accepted writings are the Lotus Sutra. The Lotus Sutra, which were written between the 2nd century B.C. and the 2nd century A.D. Now, they have what is called the Gohanzen, the Gohanzen, G-O-H-O-N-Z-O-N, Gohanzen, which is a black wooden box. It is a black wooden box and it contains the names of persons, the names of persons who are recorded in the Lotus Sutra, the accepted sacred writings. Now its forces, the forces that permeate from the black wooden box control the devotee's life, supposedly. So the person who's devoted to this type of worship, the black wooden box, the names of the persons in the Lotus Sutra are in there, and its forces supposedly control the devotee's life. Now, Nichiren Shashi Buddhism has a heavy missionary emphasis. They want to convert the world. So that's a Japanese mystical sect of Buddhism called Nichiren or Nichiren Shashu Buddhism. And then there is Zen Buddhism. Zen Buddhism, which is widely known in the U.S. Widely known in the U.S. Zen Buddhism. It's a branch of Mahayana Buddhism. It's a branch of Mahayana Buddhism, so that means it's from China and Japan. Zen Buddhism, widely known in the U.S., a branch of Mahayana Buddhism, which means it's from China and Japan, and it has no sacred writings, no sacred literature. Its teachings are supposedly transmitted from mind to mind and it is not explained in words. Its teachings are transmitted from mind to mind and it's not explained in words. Now Zen Buddhism was developed 1,000 years after Buddha died. It contains Buddha's emphasis on meditation. So Zen Buddhism, widely known in the U.S., it's a branch of Mahayana Buddhism, is from China and Japan, no sacred literature. Its teachings are transmitted from mind to mind, not explained in words. It's developed 1,000 years after Buddha died, and it contains Buddha's emphasis on meditation. They often say, look within, you are the Buddha. Look within, you are the Buddha. Zen meditation is called Zazen. Z-A-Z-E-N. Zazen, Zen meditation, you get in a sitting position and you begin chanting. The cone is very popular in Zen Buddhism. The cone, K-O-A-N, is a verbal puzzle 
a verbal puzzle given by a master to increase the pupil's self-awareness. A cone is a verbal puzzle given by a master to his pupil to increase the pupil's self-awareness. Now, some of these cones are things like, uh, uh, what is the sound of one hand clapping? You know, all kinds of stupid things that don't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, sometimes the statements make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Now, the cone is a verbal puzzle given by a master to his pupil to supposedly increase the pupil's self-awareness. Satori, S-A-T-O-R-I, Satori is sudden enlightenment. It cannot be communicated. It's like, oh, I've suddenly been enlightened. Well, what was it like? Ah, no way to put it in words. Can't describe it in words. But Satori is sudden enlightenment, and it cannot be communicated in words. Now, what happens with these followers in Zen meditation with the call, the verbal puzzle given by a master to his pupil to supposedly increase the pupil's self-awareness, when they reach this sudden enlightenment and stuff, followers begin to lose their ability to think logically and critically. They keep thinking about one hand clapping and all kinds of uh, logically contradictory things, and they begin to lose their ability to think logically and critically. In other words, they leave the realm of absolute truth to where total contradictions can both be true in their mind. Followers lose their ability to think logically and critically. Basically, from a Christian perspective, you would describe this as becoming insane. The real world equals the unworld, unreal world. The unreal world is as real as the real world is. And so that's a brief overview of Buddhism. We gave a brief introduction on Buddhism and a brief history of it. Uh, we discussed the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, Nirvana, uh, some of the precepts that all Buddhists must follow, some of the precepts that Buddhist monks and nuns must follow. We spoke, we uh, stated that the universe, according to Buddhism, is eternal, it was not created, it has evolved, and that uh, unsatisfied desire is the cause of rebirth because they still do hold to the Hinduistic teaching of reincarnation. Remember, Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism. We stated that Theravada Buddhism is early Buddhism, most, practiced mostly in India, and Mahayana Buddhism is later Buddhism, mostly practiced in China and Japan. Two current popular forms of Buddhism are Nichiren Shasu Buddhism, Japanese mystical sect revived in the last 50 years, and Zen Buddhism, a branch of Mahayana Buddhism from China and Japan, which is widely known in the U.S. Now, a brief refutation of Buddhism, a brief refutation of Buddhism, The belief in monism, Buddhist, Buddhism is monism, all reality is one. But Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and so therefore you have the Creator, and then you have 
his creation, finite beings, his creation. And so uh, reality would not be one, reality would be many. And of course, when the Buddhist tries to convince you that all reality is one, he's assuming, number one, his own existence in order to make that statement, and number two, he's assuming your existence in order to understand that statement. So whenever we communicate, we assume uh, our existence, the communicator, as well as the existence of the listener. Buddhism is monistic. Buddhism believes there is no personal God, but Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us by Christ dying for us when we were still sinners. The God of the Bible is a personal God who you can have a loving relationship with. He's a God who can fulfill your desires rather than an impersonal force uh, by which all we can hope to do is to rid ourselves of our desires since our desires will never be fulfilled. Uh, Buddhism teaches that there's no such thing against God, but the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, no, not one. If we say that we uh, have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That was, uh, 1 John 1.8 was one of the passages I used, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, and Romans 6.23. Of course, Jesus' deity is denied. They deny that Jesus is God. But the Apostle John stated in John chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And then salvation through Jesus Christ is also denied by Buddhists. Again, the passage, John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 John chapter 3 verses 16 to 18 the biblical doctrine of salvation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 14, 6, Jesus Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And 1 Peter 3:18 reads, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so the Buddhist denies Jesus' deity and he denies salvation through Christ, but the Bible clearly teaches that salvation comes only through Christ. Again, reincarnation is refuted by Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. Luke 16 verses 19 to 31 also refute that. 2 Corinthians 5.8, the apostle Paul says, prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be at home with the Lord. When a believer dies, his spirit goes to be in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't reincarnate into another body. But when you see all these things being denied, and also the teaching that the universe is, is eternal, that's refuted philosophically and scientifically. Uh, but when you see all these teachings 
of Christianity being denied by Buddhism, by Hinduism, by Islam, by Judaism, the question comes up, how can people say that all religions lead to God when they contradict one another on the issue uh, of salvation? Only Christianity, I repeat that, only Christianity teaches that salvation comes by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only true Christianity teaches that Jesus Christ is God become a man, that he died on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment for us, and that he rose again from the dead on the third day, and that salvation comes only by trusting in him. All other world religions disagree with Christianity on that point. All other world religions teach that man can save himself uh, by his own self-effort. And so when people say that all religions lead to God, they're claiming that contradictory views can both be true. And this violates the law of non-contradiction. Uh, it would be like saying, to say that all faiths lead to God would be like saying uh, the statement God does not exist and the statement God does exist are both true. Uh, they can never both be true. They're mutually exclusive. Either one is true or the other is true. They can't both be true. And that's what we find with Christianity and the other world religions. To the Buddhist, salvation is putting out of the flame the cessation of all desires. To the Muslim, salvation is the eternal fulfilling of all your sinful desires. So you have a drunken orgy with spiritual maidens throughout all eternity. But to the Christian, salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ saving us and fulfilling the godly desires that he has put within our hearts. And so even the heaven, the salvation that we look forward to is different in the different world religions. I end with Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. The New Testament book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 Speaking about Jesus Christ, this is what this passage reads. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ stated in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can't get to the Father through Buddha. You can't get to the Father through Confucius, through Mahatma Gandhi. You can't get to the Father through Reverend Moon. You can only get to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, and God bless you.